You are listening to the Gateway Church in Spring Lake, Michigan. To learn more, visit us at thegatewaygh.com. Um, if you're new here, I'm Rachel. I'm the children's director, like you just said. I just want to preface with, um, this is my first time doing this, so if you're like, wow, that was, eh. come back and hear Pastor Ben preach because he's way better than me, just so you know. <laughs> Like, I'm sure it'll probably be fine, but he's, he's great, um, and he's a great leader, and I love serving under him. Um, and I'm just thankful for the opportunity and that you let me be on your staff, because, uh, yeah, it's been great. Um, it's a great church. You guys are awesome. Thanks for loving me and letting me influence your kids and whatnot. It's pretty fun, usually. <laughs> Almost every time. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I'm going to pray. I, that'd be a good way to start. God, thank you for today and for the opportunity to be here with these people. Um, and I pray that through my ramblings you would speak um, and that hearts would be transformed and that you would just give each and every one of us divine focus and that we wouldn't miss what you're trying to do today. Uh, amen. Um, if you could put that picture on the screen, that'd be cool. So this is four-year-old Rachel. Um, a few things to note. This is from T-Ball, and I have super short hair. I hated T-Ball, and I hated short hair. But there is an important reason for both of these. My brother loved T-Ball, um, and all I ever wanted was to be like my big brother, because he was cool, and he was someone to hang out with, um, and he was just the best thing that there ever was, or is. He's really great. He's a pretty cool dude. Um, but Kid Rachel loved her brother. All I wanted was to be like Jack. Um, Jack loved giving haircuts, so that's where the short hair comes into play. Um, my first haircut was actually given to me by Jack, and he had me sit on a sit and spin, which you <laughs> twist and spin. There's a scar on my ear to prove it, and there's a photo, because my mom figured, let's get the camera first, and then we'll take care of the blood. But, so there's a photo somewhere, too. And I say all of that to say, pleasing Jack was my priority as a kid. I wanted Jack to like me, so I did what he told me. There was, we jumped off roofs, I went through a skateboarding stage even. I just, uh, not well. There was <laughs> lots of bloody knees. Um, but my goal was being like Jack. And I share that because I think it really relates to Daniel. His one and only priority was pleasing God and building God's kingdom. That's what Daniel cared about almost to the point of like a child, like how I shared. It wasn't complicated, it wasn't hard. Daniel wanted to please God and build his kingdom. And if you've been here the last few weeks, you probably know some things about Daniel, or maybe you just know things about Daniel and you weren't here. Or maybe you know nothing about Daniel, so I'm gonna tell you. He was an Israelite. The Israelites were in slavery in Babylon. So not there by choice, and had to just do what they were told, basically. Obviously, Babylon was not serving God because they had a bunch of slaves and whatnot. He somehow, not somehow, because of God and because of his motives and him wanting to please God, worked his way into a, an authority position in Babylon. He was one of the king's right-hand men. The king really, really admired Daniel and was thankful for him and allowed him to have influence. And that's because of who Daniel was and his character. And we're going to talk a little bit about three aspects of Daniel's life that I think are meaningful for us today and I th some questions that Daniel might ask if he were here. 
talking to you. So that being said, if you want to turn to Daniel 6, we're going to start at verse 1. It'll probably be on the screen, so you don't have to turn, but you can. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. So the first thing we can look, or we can see, is Daniel had an authority position. He was one of the king's right-hand men, right-hand men um, and was given influence. Yeah, so the thing that applies to us is the fact that ministry is not just for ministers and that Daniel, in his profession, was living missionally. That he saw what he was doing as a means to serve God not to do whatever it was that he was doing. And obviously he did that faithfully, but the goal was mission, not the job itself. And I think of missionaries specifically. I, we often have this like idea that missionaries are standing on soapboxes and like building churches and things of that nature, and they are. There are so many that are doing that. But of the, all the times I've gotten to go overseas and stay with missionaries, their lives look painfully similar to ours. Moms are driving kids to school and buying groceries and um, making lunches and regular mom things. And dads are doing regular dad things like building or working at a job and other dad things. I say all that to say that what makes them a missionary is they're amongst unreached people and what they're doing, even though it looks similar, they have a perspective of everything that I'm doing, I'm going to do missionally. When I bake cookies for my neighbor, it's to build relationships so I have the opportunity to share who God is. And when they're at the grocery store, they're seeking out lost and broken people to build relationship with. And we can do that. We ought to be doing that, actually. Like, our life should not look different than a missionary's life, which can be hard because it requires a lot of sacrifice and selflessness. Okay. Your profession does not affect your role in God's mission. I think that's one of the first things that we can learn from Daniel, that every single one of us is called to the same mission, and that's knowing God for ourselves and making God known, helping other people to know God as well. And what we're doing doesn't change that. It changes what that looks like, but it doesn't change that that is what we should be doing. So the stay-at-home mom, the parents, the students, the people who are retired, all of us are on the exact same mission, and that's knowing God and making God known. Um, none of us are exempt from that. That's the nature of serving God, is that every single one of us need to be doing that. Your platform is merely, or your profession is merely a platform to build God's kingdom, and when your professional success becomes about you, it's an idol. We tend to focus on what we're doing and make it all about uh, what we do is who we are. So you're a cop, that's what you're doing. You're a mom, that's what you're doing. But when it becomes about us and making us look successful, building our name and all of those sort of things, it's an idol. And I'm pretty sure that we're all pretty aware of God's view on idols. It's not a fan. That's the whole premise of Daniel. The, the main issue in the book of Daniel is whose kingdom is being built. And half the time it was their own kingdom. They were building their own success. And when things were going well, it was because they were building God's kingdom. I 
have a friend who has a friend. So this random stranger that I met the other day, he vocationally gets to work with people and help them figure out how they can do their job missionally, which is a really interesting job that I don't really understand how it's an actual job, but it would be really great and super cool to be able to do that. So he was sharing with me that he gets to sit down and interview people who work regular day-to-day -day jobs. And he asked them these three questions just to see like, what's going on in their life. The first one is, how would you describe your profession? And obviously, that's just to get a pulse on what they're doing. But these next two questions, I think, are super important. And I think they're worth us asking ourselves. The second one is, as an image bearer of God, how does your work reflect some aspect of God's work? And it should. Because if you're interacting with people, there's opportunity to show who Jesus is. And every single one of us is interacting with people to some extent. Because, I mean, you're sitting next to people right now. So you have an opportunity to reflect some aspect of who God is and what he's doing. And then the next question, or the last question he asks is, how does your work give you a unique vantage point into the brokenness of the world? Every single one of you has influence in someone's life that I don't. And that goes across the board. I know people that you don't. We all have different avenues of being who Jesus is to broken people. And we'd be foolish to not take advantage of that because that's the whole reason we're here is building God's kingdom, knowing God, making him known. So my friend who asked these questions interviewed this lady who works at a factory. She had like almost no family and not a whole lot going for her other than her church community and her job. And he said that she is the most joyful person he has ever met in her entire life. And that's because she was living like Daniel. She saw that her job was a platform for her to reach people. She got to lead more than half of her coworkers to Jesus. And not invited them to church. She prayed with them and showed them Jesus by the way that she was living. And the majority of the place that she works is following God because of her. That's what God's calling us to do. And what's unfortunate is that we think, oh my gosh, that's incredible and super awesome because it's rare. That shouldn't be rare. That's what we should be doing. We should be the ones praying with our friends. We should be the ones that people come to when they're hurt and when they're broken and when they need something. They should be coming to us. So I think the first question that Daniel would ask if he was up here is, who's standing on your professional platform? Is your job, and whether your job is raising kids or it's in an office, whatever it is, who is on your platform? Are you posting pictures on Facebook so that people will see how awesome you are or to see what God is doing? And that's a hard one because I do that sometimes. Like, well, here's a cool thing that I did. Everyone look. But who's standing on your professional flat platform? Are you building your own success? Are you building your kingdom? Or are you building God's kingdom? Because that's why we have the platforms that we have, is to build God's kingdom. I think the next thing worth looking at is Daniel's pattern. And what I mean by that is the habits that he made and things like that. Uh, many Christians understand, that missional live, understand missional living but fall apart when it comes to the application. I think most of us could probably give a very adequate understanding or explain 
what it means to be a Christian, what missions is, what missional living looks like, but actually doing it is really hard, and it's hard for me. I have a friend who's a chef, so when I'm not here doing church stuff, I'm helping with weddings, and he has a food truck, so that's super fun, and I've seen some of you there and gave you cookie dough, but, so yeah, if you ever find me on a food truck, I'll probably get you cookie dough, just throwing that out there. Anyways, we were catering this really, really high-end wedding, and so my chef friend, his wife, is pregnant and is in, like, the beginning stages of that, so she's been at home quite a bit, so I've basically filled her shoes in the sense of making sure everything looks the way it's supposed to look and getting things out when they need to be out. And it's a, a lot of responsibility that I'm like semi-equipped to do. And then on top of it, the wedding coordinator would just throw curveball after curveball after curveball with no regard for anyone but how it made her look. And it was incredibly difficult because I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea like what decisions I'm allowed to make. So it was really, really stressful. And I felt myself get frustrated with her instead of seeing her as someone who needs Jesus. And my inclination was to withdraw from her, to avoid her, to be short with her, instead of seeing this as someone who desperately needed Jesus. And I had the ability to share that. And I spent an entire day with her yesterday and never once did she really see Jesus in me through what I said and the way I acted probably, which stinks. Like, what a wonderful opportunity to be graceful and compassionate when someone else wasn't. And I missed the mark. And I think what would have made the difference if I would have had a stronger set of patterns and habits of responding the way God wants me to when people are difficult. It's easy to respond the way God wants us to when things are going well, but when things are hard, that's when we should be able to lean back on trusting that Jesus is going to be who he is and that we're going to respond in a way that honors him. Do you want to go to Daniel 3? Not Daniel 3, Daniel 6, 3. You could go to Daniel 3, but you'd be very confused probably. So it says, Now Daniel so distinguished himself amongst the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this point, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could, fi they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Can you imagine if people said that about you? I'm not certain that people would say that about me. If someone wanted to take me down, I'm sure they could find some sort of flaw somewhere, especially people who know me well. And I feel like that's across the board. I hope I'm not alone in that. Well, actually, it would probably be better if I was alone in that, and then I would just have to work on it, and you guys would all be great. But <laughs> regardless, Daniel set a high standard for himself and consistently met that standard of being excellent, being trustworthy, honoring God, which is the standard God is calling us to. And we all miss the mark. It happens. But we, that should be the rare case, the, 
our pattern should be honoring God, being trustworthy, not being corrupt, in our motives and in our actions. And then we see, if you want to go to verse 10, if you know the story of Daniel at all, you know that he, because of all of this and because these leaders wanted to take him down, they set they tr- basically tricked the king into writing a decree that said if you don't serve the king and worship the king, um, you're going to get thrown into a lion's den, which I feel like would be a terrible way to go. I can't imagine. I don't want to imagine. I probably could. But And Daniel's response was fall, fall back onto his patterns that he had already established of serving God and going to God. Verse 10 says, um, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. So Daniel's response when things were difficult was going to God, and at this point, it was illegal. And I don't know about you guys, but I, I think it's unfortunate, but I feel like this is true in my case. If Christianity became illegal... I think my go-to would be negotiating with God instead of just continuing to be faithful. And I'm, what I mean by that is I'm pretty certain I would try and reason my way into abiding by the law instead of just continuing to do what God asked me to do. I would hope not, but, and I mean, in theory, I don't, I, I don't know if I would or not. But, yeah, I'm thankful that that's not what Daniel did because... Uh, the effects of that were incredible. but So yeah, the law is not strong enough to break Daniel's pattern of speaking and acting in a way that pleased God. Yeah, more often than not, our actions match up with what God is, what God's asking us to do and we're good at being Christians or we're really good at talking about it. But it's hard to do both. And I have this feeling that that was the case and then I heard this podcast the other day there's a man who he felt God stirring in him about changing his actions and honoring God. And this was a new thing for him, and he didn't really know what that looked like. And he worked at a nonprofit. His boss was one of the most kind-hearted, servant, kind, servant-hearted, compassionate people he had ever known, and was doing all of these things for the community and globally. And this man looked at him and thought to himself, if my boss can be as good as he is, and he doesn't need God, certainly I don't need God. I can just try harder. And after a while, God continued stirring in his heart, and he decided that he was going to surrender his life to God. And he went to his boss to tell him about it, because he thought his boss needed Jesus. He thought in his head, if my boss is doing what he's doing and had Jesus on his side, this man would be unstoppable. And when he told his boss about his new relationship with God, his boss was like, that's awesome, I'm a Christian too. The issue was his boss was the hardest part of him becoming a Christian because he never shared anything about Jesus. He never gave a reason why he was doing what he was doing. We have to be doing God's work, and we have to be telling people why. We can talk about it, and we can do it, but until we're doing both, there's a problem. When we interact with people, they should expect to encounter God. That should be the pattern when we meet people. I had an entire day to show this wedding coordinator the love of Jesus, and I failed. Her expectation, I guess she wouldn't have known to expect it. I should have expected her to meet Jesus. 
because of how I was acting. And that wasn't the case. And more often than not, I think we miss the mark. We're often all talk or all action, and in both cases, we're compromising the gospel. <coughs> Our actions are what give us the opportunity to share Jesus. That's the platform we're standing on. It's the way we act, the way we serve people, is so we can tell them about Jesus. When I think of the spring stock up and the school stock up, I'm so thankful that we're a church that cares about our community and that we have organized things we do as a church to reach lost and broken people. And God did incredible things because of it, which is awesome, and I'm so thankful for that. But I remember hearing a statistic that said it takes about 50 interactions with someone sharing Jesus before someone will come to church. So if the only time we're interacting with our community is these two events, that's going to take 25 years to get them in the doors of our church. That's not okay. It's not the church's job, but our job as the church to go to the lost. I mean, this is just a thought. We probably, I don't know what you want to do with this. But what if the hundred and some that got saved, we followed up with? And you picked one of those people, and you made them your mission. Instead of letting the church make a bunch of phone calls, which we can do and we plan on, but... It's our job to reach the community, not the church's job to reach the community. It's ours. I was talking with another friend this one time, and he asked, what do you think the point of church is? And I was like, I guess I've never thought of that. And they began to explain how incredible it would be if church on Sunday morning was a celebration instead of the spiritual high point of our week. And what he meant by that was that we were actually out doing the work that by the time we came here, it was just us celebrating all the things that God did during that week. Could you imagine, let's say, on every Sunday morning we had 10 minutes where we got to share how God used us that week? Would you have anything to contribute to the conversation? Because if you don't, there's a problem. And I'm going to talk to parents for just a second. And I might stumble over my words and say something that doesn't sound right, so just hear what I'm meaning, not what I'm saying. <laughs> but I think the first thing to consider as a parent is what patterns are you instilling in your kids? Or are the patterns you're instilling in your kids limiting them or encouraging them to be kingdom builders? There's not an age requirement to build the kingdom of God. I'm going to cry. Oh. I made it to the end of first service before crying. But our kids have influence that we don't have. And we need to be encouraging them instead of pulling them back and out of situations that are difficult and scary and trusting that God is going to do what he does and that he's going to use our kids and that they're going to reach people instead of pulling them out of those situations. And another thing to consider as parents is are we teaching our kids to isolate themselves from or to infiltrate a broken, hurting, sinful world? When our kids are full of the Spirit of God, they can be unstoppable. God wants to use them, and he will. And students, let God use you. And I trust that you guys know and are seeking God whether you're going to send your kid to a public school, whether you're going to homeschool, whether you're going to Christian school, whatever that is, I'm trusting that you guys are seeking God and listening to what he's asking you to do. But our schools are broken 
and hurting and kids are dealing with things that I can't imagine. Even from the time that I was in school until now, it is, it is, they're so broken and they need Jesus. They need someone to show them that there is hope and that there is someone who loves them and that there are people who care about them. And our kids should be doing that. The last thing to consider parents is if we want safe communities for our kids, they need to create that. Our kids should be changing culture instead of being swayed by it. And this is hard because kids mess up and are easily influenced. And it really genuinely comes down to us listening to the Holy Spirit, asking, what do you want for my kids and how can I partner with them to be missional, to be kingdom builders as well? And it starts with us being kingdom builders. We can't expect our kids to do something we're not. So yeah, if you're at a point where you have your kid who's far from God, seek the Lord. Pray as hard as you can and trust that he is going to reach your kid in a way that is meaningful to them. He has a plan for them just as much as he has a plan for you. And he has missions for them just as much as he has a mission for you. Pull it together. I can't read my notes because my eyes are watering. It's fine. Okay. Daniel's profession was his platform for God to highlight Daniel's pattern of intentional risk and engagement in a broken, with broken people. Daniel understood the mission of God and created healthy patterns that were going to help him be effective. And we need to be doing the same. We need to be taking risk. We need to be seeking God. And I guess on the note of the backpack drive, let me start with saying that I was a kid who grow, grew up going to backpack drives and being on the receiving end of it. And I caught myself in the recent past thinking that, like there is a certain type of demographic that, this, that these type of um, service events are reaching. And on those days, I'm there and I'm ready and I'm willing to be whatever Jesus is asking me to be, but I don't see that mentality carrying in me outside of those events. I typically avoid people who need something because that means I'm gonna have to sacrifice something. We should be going to the broken, we should be going to the lost, we should be going to the needy. That's God's heart. Our hearts are selfish. We want to separate ourselves when we feel like there's gonna be need. And that's not who God is. I think a question Daniel would answer, ask would be, is safety and segregation your pattern, a pattern in your life, or do you have a pattern of intentionally initiating and interacting with lost people? Not only should we be missional with the people we are regularly with, but we need to be seeking and going to broken people. Because if we don't, who will? And then they'll always be broken, and the system's always going to be the way that it is. It's our job to go to them and not expect them to come to us. And I think the last thing to consider are Daniel's priorities. If you want to go to verse 19. So what happens in the story? Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den, and the king is so shaken up because of his relationship with Daniel, because he knew the kind of man Daniel was, 
that he didn't sleep at all, and he, the second he could, he rushed down to where Daniel was, and this is what happened. At first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I, have, I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, your majesty. Daniel's priority was building the kingdom of God, and we see that in his response. The very first thing he says is, may the king live forever. I think that's super important to acknowledge, is that when he was given the opportunity, after God had done something incredible, he pointed everything right back to God because he valued who God was and what he was going to do. Daniel's priority was to build God's kingdom, and it should be ours too. I was at Unity Fest two weeks ago, and I met, I was working at, I was recruiting with my um, college, and I met a couple, and they shared about how, basically their testimony. The husband had grown up in church, um, knew God, and had a solid relationship with God. The wife grew up, I should have looked up what the name of this religion, but where you she worshipped trees and rivers and streams and rocks, and that was her thing. She had this crazy encounter with someone, and they just simply mentioned a, like, scripture reference, and she went and looked it up, and it talked about worshipping the creator and not the creation, which was exactly what she needed to stir that in her, and she started asking questions. Because her now husband had set a strong example of who God was, and actively lived it out and talked about it, she went straight to him. And as he described her, her reputation was someone you avoided, someone who was difficult, who was ready to argue about anything, the type of person that you don't want to spend time with. And he so easily could have brushed it off as like, yeah, given her a Bible, or said, hey, this is a good church. But he helped her get involved, get her, got her plugged in somewhere, even though it was difficult, and even though she was hard to interact with, and because of that, she is serving God, they're married, and going into ministry. Because he was faithful, because he saw his profession, which was school at that point, as a way, as a means to serve God and to live missionally and establish healthy patterns of serving God, she came to know God. And countless others are going to because of them. Because he was faithful. Because he lived a life that looked like Daniel's life. Uh, Bob, you want to come up? Building God's kingdom must be motivated by our relationship with God. There's a ton of different things that can motivate us, making ourselves look good, making life easy by doing things that are right instead of difficult by being defiant and things like that. But if it's not our relationship with God, we're not going to be effective if that's not what's motivating us. One of my favorite quotes is by Dick Brogdon. He says, the Bible makes no allowance for private faith. Jesus is too precious to hoard. Understand, we can hear that, but until we understand how precious Jesus is, what he's done for us, how he seeks to know us, how he seeks for us to know him, 
we're not going to be motivated to build God's kingdom at all. It's that relationship that drives all of this. Daniel's priority was Jesus. He wanted to know God, and he wanted others to experience the same God he experienced. I was at a funeral when I was a kid and had almost no relation to the person who had passed away. Like, I have no idea why I was there, but I was. I think it was God. And the preacher talked about this man and said that his famous saying was, in light of eternity, what does it matter? What are we doing that's going to make a difference eternally? One of my favorite, actually it's not my favorite, I don't really like Christmas music, but there's one line in one Christmas song, I don't even know what song it is, but it says, the thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. The hope we have is thrilling, or it should be. Who God is is incredible. How he created us is incredible. The fact that he lets us as broken, hurting people be a part of his mission is incredible. That's hope. That God can take something as broken as me and use me to do what he wants to do. And it's so easy to make it about us. I think the last question Daniel would ask is what are you doing that actually matters? If I can have everybody stand. It doesn't mean what are you doing that matters that's going to make a difference this year? Or what are you going to do that's going to make a difference this week? But what are you doing right now in this moment that actually matters? What do you plan to do today that actually matters that's going to have a difference for eternity? There's two different groups here, and maybe you can be in both, I suppose. But maybe you need to encounter the hope of Jesus. You need to understand how precious Jesus is to the point where you want to share it and you want to go do the difficult things. And maybe you're here and you have that understanding, but it hasn't motivated you to do anything about it. God wants to use every single one of you. He has a plan for that. We have a responsibility to the gospel and to who Jesus is. I'm going to pray, and if you need to understand what that hope is, or you have an understanding and it's not motivating you, I want you to just spend some time listening to God and ask him what he's calling you to do that matters. Because being a mom matters. Having a job matters. Being a student matters. Because God has a plan in all of that. God wants you to in every bit and piece of that. God, thank you for choosing us, that we get to be a part of what you're doing. And I pray that in these next few moments that you would speak to your people, that you would help us have a more accurate understanding of the hope we have in you and how thrilling it is. And I pray on top of that, that you would motivate your people to do your work. That we would look at the regular bits and pieces of life and see you moving in all of it. Help us to listen to what you're calling us to do in parenting and in our jobs and all of the places that we go and the people we interact with. 
that we would see every bit and piece of it as mission, and that we would understand that you are our priority, that knowing you and helping other people to do that is our priority. And I ask that you would give each and every one of us unique ways and ideas of how to do that and what the actual application of that is, and that we would be people to ask, does this matter? Is this going to impact someone for eternity? If you guys want to come up to the altar, I'll be there because I need more of Jesus. Um, or find a spot. We're going to just enter into a time of worship. And I want, I want you guys to leave with ideas of what you can do that actually matters. I've got a couple thoughts going on in my mind. <clears throat> First of all, just want to thank Rachel for your transparency and your openness and, and uh, your study. And uh, thank you for serving us this morning. And uh, I, I, we appreciate it, absolutely. <laughs> Rachel, I've known you for a couple years now. And I would say, even though you've painted this picture and kind of showed aside saying, man, I don't always hit it. I missed it here or I've missed it there. Uh, you are a person that is a great example in many, many times where you are thinking missionally and, uh, and you're a great example. And I want you to know that. And, and that challenges me. And the thing that just really stuck out to me, especially second service, was that Daniel wanted to please God. And uh, Rachel, she wants to please God. And I want to be the person that wants to please God. And, uh, and when we please God or when we have that desire, it's going to affect other people. It's going to make a difference. And uh, the, each of us, there might be moments where we miss it, and, and maybe even more times than not. But doesn't it feel good when we please God and we do speak up? when we do make a difference in someone else's life. And my challenge, or our challenge today is when we leave here, we are entering a mission field wherever we go. And we need the Lord to go before us, behind us, and all around us like we often pray in a prayer of benediction. But go with that perspective and take these nuggets. And uh, Rachel, you, you, you challenged me. There's some things you said today that, that, uh, that were uh, powerful reminders, things that I needed to hear. And, uh, and I know that we needed to hear. And so thank you. And uh, I just want to uh, pray a prayer of benediction uh, before we go. And just know that as we leave here, that we can and we will make a difference in this community. Lord, I pray that you'd go before us, behind us, and all around us. Lord, use this message. Help it to be on our hearts and on our minds. Help us not to quickly forget, Lord, that Daniel was a great example uh, that desired to please you. And help each of us to be the type of person that wants to please you with our lives. Lord, we thank you for this. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Go in the grace of God. We love you. Thanks for being here this morning. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegatewaygh.com.